Happy Tuesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Into the Night Minute, a show where each and every week teams of Movies by Minute podcasters go over probably one of the most, uh, well, one of the least uh, known and uh, most uh, mysterious of John Landis's comedies, the 1985 film Into the Night. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane from the Apollo 13 Minute, Airport Minute, and the James Bond Minute. Oh, and I'm your other host for today, uh, Robert Black from... Michael Myers Minute, Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, and probably others I'm not thinking of at the moment. Yeah, this this is such a... Uh, it, it, it defies the normal laws of comedy. And, uh, uh, Robert, you were, you've been hitting on the, uh, the overlap of, uh, of L.A. comedies and, uh, and noir and yeah. uh, the roles of... Uh, the, the, role, the different uh, tropes of, of those genres. Uh, it's it's so peculiar, and, and I even even on rewatching, I still get puzzled as to was John Landis thinking this was a comedy? Was he so wrapped up in his personal life that he wasn't exactly you know he was he was like venting through his film, right. or uh, what what the purposes of of the narrative strategies are here? I, yeah, because the comedy, a lot of it, there's a few deliberate jokes like with the Savaks sometimes they they screw things up in such a way it's like they're bumbling fools but a lot of the comedy other than them is almost accidental and so it's like it's billed as a comedy but it's more like a film noir that is just it's more about being bizarre than being funny but I do yeah. have, I do have good news for you though okay I've seen this movie four times all the way through that's it starting with when you announced that you were going to do this show the first time I was like, okay, I can appreciate this show. I mean, this movie, it's fine. I, like, it wasn't, I didn't like it, or well, I didn't love it. I could appreciate it. Second time I watched it, when I was doing my first week of minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get it. Third time I watch it for my second set of minutes, I'm like, I'm starting to kind of enjoy this. And I've been listening to the show, and I'm liking more details of it. And, like, sitting in my car listening to other people talk about it, and I'm, like, arguing with them when they can't hear me, obviously. But then I watched it a fourth time this week to be on for today i like this movie now yeah well that's that, that's great news i mean i i've enjoyed this since it first came out and i had a minor obsession with it in the first year or two of watching it hmm. then i sort of forgot about it it kind of wound up in the back of my uh, vhs tapes and um someone gave me a, a a dvd copy because i said i remember you liked this movie so i went up with the dvd and watched it maybe in the early 2000s and I was thinking, yeah, this is this still holds up. But now, in watching it, it's to me, it has as many classic weirdness things as um, Billy Wilder's uh, Double Indemnity, or yeah. it, it has all those noir themes. And the 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 character arc of the main character, he is kind of an empty suit. He's he's the he's the midpoint of everything. But we really don't know much about him other than what's what he's being uh, driven by, which is kind of a uh, a sudden care for the for the femme fatale for Diana, and uh, his growth from being a, a passive participant in a, his own life to being the the star of his, of his of his role. Yeah, um, and uh, and we're seeing that in this in this particular minute in the, the previous yeah this minute, scene this current one him finally he's, doing something. Yeah, he's he's taken the wheel, and he's driving against the big the big bad who who you know is Arani Pappas. And uh, she's puzzled because she wasn't expecting 
this guy. She's had all kinds of conflicting reports from, about him. Uh, I'm sure she's heard from, uh, you know, third hand about uh, uh, David Bowie's character, uh, thinking that he's good, very good. Right. And, and Vadim, uh, as character, has also, you know, Mr. Uh, Mavi is also been bested by him. So she knows he's not a minor player. I mean, he's, he's not quite Jack Caper territory, but she still can't piece him together. Yeah. And, and it's interesting also, cause then this scene, you also get another one of like the film noir tropes. We're into that, the real estate deal part of the movie. Yeah. Which it was funny. Like a few minutes ago, Sean and Dave from Groundhog Minute were talking about that and they didn't like that. It's all about real estate and it's not all this <laughs> other stuff. I'm like, that's what film noir is. Especially yeah. if it's based in L.A., as most of it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, because you consider Chinatown LA, or... Yeah. property's power. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and everybody is trying to be who they're not. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm watching this movie. I, I rewatched the other day. I rewatched a movie I hadn't seen in a long time. Kind uh, <laughs> It seems like it would be far away from this, but uh, Blake Edwards' movie, Ten, uh, is set well, in Malibu. That a long time. <laughs> it, it's set in Malibu, and yeah. as I remembered, it was just a, you know, a sex farce and things like that. But... The whole idea of everybody pretending to be something that they're not and always trying to find um, the sugar daddy. I mean, this this movie is a lot about finding the right sugar daddy. I mean, and and the, mm-hmm. there's very there's very few wealthy people in this movie. There's people chasing wealth, but are living on the on the edge and trying to be somebody that they're not. Whether it's right. Diana, you know, Diana's brother Charlie, or um, Hossie. yeah, Hossie or uh, even Dan Aykroyd's uh, character uh, talking about going off to uh, Vegas and being anything you want to be, fulfilling your fantasy by being somebody you're not. Yeah, just for a night. That's yeah, that's the kind of the the slogan for Los Angeles itself. Right. And uh, you come it, here yeah, and you become someone else. Yeah, and you know, it, as we're going to see you know, today and tomorrow, we're watching uh, Diana can uh, uh, change herself into uh, Miss Bailey. Yeah, who is uh, now apparently a wealthy person who can uh, you know walk into the the trade hours of the uh, the Los Angeles Flower Mart. Uh, yeah, because it's not open at night normally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be you have to be a member of the trade. So yeah. she uh, somehow manages to get you know, work her way in there in the middle of the night and uh, and order <laughs> several dozen uh, roses on consignment. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a uh, it, it, it's such a great. A hall of mirrors with uh with every with everybody playing a role including ed who is now pretending he's powerful yeah well in the in the moment he it's even more than pretense because he does have the power as long as they don't know where the jewels are that that that's true yeah um what do you think of the strategy of giving up half the emerald it's it's dangerous depending on how much shaheen needs the extra money but it works because she needs the extra money, and so she needs the rest, the other ones. And it's a good way to know, like, yes, we're prepared to work with you. Please stop trying to kill us. Yeah, I mean, she I, killed her nephew over this. Yeah, I thought one emerald would have been enough, but I guess it's qu- it's quite a, you know, uh, dropping your defenses for a moment, and giving up half of her right, the, right. the bounty she's been seeking. Um. And I keep I keep thinking while we're watching this, this is kind of a sleight of hand that we're not thinking about what's going on in Los Angeles at the same time he's having this discussion. There is a trail of bodies 
from LAX to uh, uh, we don't know what happened to the uh, the topless lady with uh, that was with uh, Larry oh, in the boat, boat. Yeah. and uh, we don't know what happened to her. There, uh, you know, there's piles of uh, of of people in uh, in the penthouse up in uh, in Beverly Hills, right? Uh, and uh, David Bowie and uh, Carl Perkins have gone over the balcony into the middle of Rodeo Drive, I think. And so Christy. and Christy out out in Malibu. So from you know. Quite a quite a large swath of uh, Los Angeles has uh, has dead people all over it. So I would think that there's there's a lot of police looking for uh, clues and signs and trying to figure out how are they all connected. Now, um, if if this is anything like say Chinatown or some other film noir, that won't be a problem if Shaheen gets what she wants. She'll true. have police that are like on the take and will cover up some things or keep those cases unrelated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It it's just. I know we're going to start getting into, uh, you, you know, not just it's not just the, the LAPD, but uh, you know we're going to be getting into federal marshals and stuff. Yeah. So the, and of course, this is an international smuggling incident, so those uh, those emeralds uh, play a role from from a customs point of view. And there's you know just a lot of overlapping uh, uh, government agencies that are probably interested in what's going on. Um, and it's interesting that Landis keeps this kind of on the download that we kind of forget that there's law enforcement at the moment because. All these deals seem to be done in a in a lawless environment. You know the, no, the noir environment that there is no law except that which you know of surviving. Yeah. When even in the end, and we don't get confirmation of it, but the cash dropped off dropped off by one of those officials probably comes from Jack. I would think it would be Jack. I'm, which I'm thinking mean, that, but that means I'm even thinking. he is paying off the law enforcement to keep Diana and Ed out of trouble. So. Yeah, even he's yeah. controlling the situation. Uh, I was just, I was just wondering how much Jack has been doing. I mean, I, I, he's either sitting in his hospital bed waiting to hear what happens, but yeah. Jack, Jack doesn't seem to be the type of guy that uh, likes to be um, out of the out of the picture or you know not not being constantly informed. I'm sure he at this moment he has Larry do, you know doing his bidding on stuff. Yeah, he he knows about uh, his wife's. Uh, subterfuge on keeping Diana away from him. So he's probably uh, working the phones while all this is happening. Yeah, that's one of the great moments when they're at Jack's is when as soon as Diana mentions Hasi and Hamid, like Jack knows exactly who she's talking about. Like they are, he's in that same circle as all of these other people. Yeah, and I, I wondered if Jack has any remorse about that because he may be someone who introduced Hasi and Hamid to Diana in the oh, circles yeah. that they roll in. How about the uh, the other folks that are with um, uh, Shaheen? Uh, I'm wondering, uh, we talk, uh, Tierney and I talked about this in the last minute, that uh, you know we, we had the four Savak fellows that right. have been tracking him down, but she seems to have most of her uh, executive staff there. Uh, I, I'm wondering, how big is Shaheen's empire, do you think? I mean, is she just working out of one base there, or does she have... Well, well, it depends, because that's the thing. I looked into, like, houses that they use in this movie, and Jack's house is the Beverly House, which is, I think, still the most expensive residential property in the country. This house is not that big. It's on half an acre of land. It's over in San Marino. It's not in Beverly Hills. Um, It's only got four bedrooms. (laughs) Um. An interesting note on this house, it's own, it was owned at the time and still is by the family, by uh, Marshall B. Katz and his wife, Francine, Francine. Her maiden name is Hogan. 
Hmm. Which is pretty close to Ed's. Yeah. You know, it just has an H on the front. They, they dealt in sheet metal. And so that was their empire, is that they had a, a steel distributor and processor company. And so they had this house since, was it 1973? It was, it was built, and they still live there. Or she does. He died in 2014. Wow. But this house is not particularly large. It is really nice. It has a nice. It has a nice facade. I mean, it has, yeah. it, uh, in yesterday's minute, we were watching them walking around the uh, the small waiting pool out front with the fountain, and it's very impressive from the outside. But just generally, curb appeal, I guess, is a uh, is the highest uh, part of this. It also, if you go to the neighborhood, it stands out. It is the only house on that in that area of that style, that like Middle okay. Eastern look. Yeah. So it does. It is visually interesting. So yeah, maybe maybe she's not as powerful as Jack. But he immediately acts like she's someone to be afraid of. Hmm. Yeah. It. It's. Uh. Yeah. She. I mean, she does come across. She did not. She didn't threaten Jack, which was a surprise. But I guess he's somebody that she can't go up against. She's. He's not big enough. But that. You know. He would go. She would go after a relative before she go after Jack for money. Yeah. Um. And the Savak didn't go to his house. Yeah. To look for Diana. Yeah, they weren't they weren't gonna gonna pull that even though they knew their you know primary security there was Larry who's currently in a you know, neck brace. Um, <laughs> how how far um, how far do you think that I mean Shaheen has has gotten into L.A. society, but I don't know. I, I mean she she like many of the others there are uh, are Iranian exiles from the from the days of the Shah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering how far she's. Um, She's managed to insinuate herself into Los Angeles society, or is she just laying low and fencing, you know, the treasures of uh, of Iran and and living on that? You know, kind of like a if you think of uh, of Iranian treasures as her uh, as her trust fund. Maybe I mean we we don't really know because as far as Diana knows, Hasi was getting the, the got the jewels from like his cousin. I think she says, right? That might be a lie, or that cousin could be. Shaheen's kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah, This could be an all-in-the-family situation. And so Um, it may be exactly what Shaheen is doing, is she is one of those people who got those, like, crown jewels that Diana says were stolen. Yeah, and she's definitely, I mean, you know, as, as we found out, this is all a real estate deal. I'm thinking... That just you know that's that's where she's intending to leverage uh, herself further into the Los Angeles scene, right. and 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 having you know having a, an income stream rather than having to cash in assets. So again, this could be another significant reason for getting those emeralds. This uh, the scene with the uh, with the pistachios. I understand. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a comedic it's a comedic thing that it's it, they're using it. Uh, you know, Landis is using this too accentuate every time they're they're making a point one of those savak guys pops a yeah a pistachio in his mouth um i i know it's a conceit and i i still haven't decided whether or not it's annoying or just plain funny maybe on the first go around it, it's funny it's in, just, in this minute it's funny because i think it only happens twice but in the whole scene it happens a few more times and so it's it may be getting more like annoying yeah, it gets into like a Three Stooges thing where yeah. there's two of them having it once, or all three of them are, you know, three of them are having it. It's just, I, I don't know. but yeah, in this in this particular minute, it's it's okay. So then, after as we're going back and forth through that scene, we get to we get to the Los Angeles Flower Shop, and we're looking at the uh, Yakamura Nursery Company, which is you know a made up thing. I'm trying to figure out if 
is this, I guess this would be a necessary place. I was trying to figure out where else Diana could hide this in a public place. But really, other than this, or maybe the uh, the farmer's market on Fairfax, which wouldn't be open That'd this be time more of night. closed, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually like this one because she puts it in something that, as Ed says, someone could find. But yeah. she puts it in something that is specifically reserved for Shaheen to get. And so it's a nice mix of it's out there in the open, but you'll get it if you if I tell you where it is. Yeah. So based on the uh, based on the time frame of when this is open to the trade, I mean, it, it, for folks who don't know this, the the Los Angeles uh, flower market is open generally eight to noon for the public, and yeah. then two two a.m. to six a.m. for the the tradespeople that come in, you know, caterers and uh, other florist companies that are buying off of the wholesale florists. They're open from two a.m. to six a.m. So. We're, we're looking at this and saying it's at least 2 a.m. when uh, when this deal is going well, down. It, sh- it shouldn't be. When, yeah, they, it, when they were at Jack's, it was only, um, or I forget the exact time on the clock. When uh, it, you see it behind Ed, it's, it's 8 o'clock-ish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so- shortly after sunset in what I'm assuming is the fall, simply yeah. because they're all wearing long sleeve shirts and jackets in Los Angeles. Right. So, um, so this seems to be a little bit out of time. Um, but it, you know, it, that's not important to the story, I guess. So they can they can move the clock around when they're when they're at a yeah. Uh, it also goes like when the Savak are in the the tailor last yeah. night, they get yeah, in that, because they have connections. Yeah, ex- exactly. So this is for some reason she's there and she's able to she's able to, to talk her way through this. Um, for for all we know, Jack may have had that in. You know, yeah, he <laughs> that might have been the role of she's coming. Sh- yeah, Shaheen. Here's the. Right, you know, somewhere in the Rolodex, there's a call. Use this number for the trade uh, badge that you need to get. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie's coy and doesn't tell us the plan, so we could easily have missed a phone call. Yeah, for Los Angeles movies, what are some of your favorites? What would you, in, in terms of you know, looking at Los Angeles? I mean, there's so, there's so many self-reflexive ones, but which ones come to mind? A lot of mine are the darker, like noir ones. I I kind of wanted when I was doing my blog, I wanted to do a month of like L.A. noirish movies, and watch like Heat for a week. Okay. Yeah. And Collateral and um, Nightcrawler. You know, sure. Like really dark, but more modern ones. When you go back to older ones, obviously Chinatown is a wonderful one because it gets its timing of events wrong that it's referencing things over multiple decades. But it's all about like what something that really happened in L.A. when people started stealing water out of the valleys, and you have sections of California that died because of that, because all the water was coming to L.A. as L.A. got yeah. bigger and bigger, and that's yeah. fascinating stuff. Oh yeah, I know it's it's, end, it's endlessly amazing, and and the sequel, uh, the two Jakes, yeah, uh, also follows. It kind of it, it pretty much follows the same plot as Who Framed Roger Rabbit in terms of uh, well, and Who Framed it. Roger Rabbit, yeah, <laughs> is there a you good go. one. <laughs> Another one yeah. that has a real estate deal. That's that's true. I enjoy um, for for LA ones. I do like um, uh, LA uh, LA Confidential. Yeah, it's yeah. a little a little bit over the top in terms of noir, um, and of course Die Hard. Um, <laughs> I would think w- one of my favorite LA-based stories would be uh, Bowfinger. Yes, uh, Bowfinger is great. It it has a great, uh, very cynical take on the uh, on the whole film industry and, and what it's like living in in Los Angeles and being being able to fake it before you make it. And everybody is sizing you up and trying to figure out how much power you have. It's very uh, 
it, it could almost you could almost class it as a as a daytime noir. It's just so. I mean, yeah. it, it's a, it's a comedy, but it's just so dark and so cynical. It, it has that feeling of a noir. And you mentioned Die Hard, which in a way is not an LA movie because it's about a guy from New York coming here and everything. That true. made me think of a very different movie, uh, Bullworth, with Warren oh, Beatty. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. Is politician comes to LA and yeah. it changes his life for that day. Yeah, and yeah, it's. It, a different look at the way the city works. It, it's always interesting seeing it's it's kind of the uh, like the poem about the elephant where people grabbing a tail or an ear and, and picturing an entirely different creature. It's 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 always L.A. but it's just so many different facets of uh, yeah, of a place where stories are made. What, and uh, oh, good. Well, one thing this this movie does in, in most of the time well is that it takes them a while to get places. Yeah. That's true. Because L.A. is very spread out. I was watching um, the first Fast and the Furious recently, and they lose their vehicles in Chinatown, and they say something about how it's going to take them hours to get home. The house they're using as a location is, like, less than a mile from Chinatown. (laughs) And I'm like, you're going to be there in no time at all. Yeah, you could walk it if you had to, yeah. (laughs) It's like they wrote the line and then picked a house and didn't realize it didn't fit anymore. Ouch. This one, the only problem I had with the geography really is when she says, like, take me to the marina, because I'm like, there's a lot of marinas. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming she's meaning Marina del Rey. Marina del Rey is where they yeah. go. Yeah, um, but, but but yeah, it's like, which which part of it? And there's many places along Marina del Rey where you can pull off. Yeah. So. Um, and then when she said, take me back to Hollywood, just take me to Hollywood, it's like, that's a hike. That is a real... Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a big drive from, when he lives... Ed lives yeah. in between LAX and Marina Del Rey. Yeah. So yeah. going to Hollywood's a long way out of the way. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's an endless track. And I think the great thing about this is, is Landis knows LA, so I think he knows people watching this movie who who also know LA can mm-hmm. feel it, can feel a lot of this, um, and the, especially the weirdness of uh, of eighties LA. Yeah. With um, you know the uh, the the convertible Cadillac and the King Lives and seeing that I mean I. I I've been to LA, I was I was in LA in the '80s, and it's like that. There's just a lot of people trying to trying to get your attention oh, in, yeah. in the days before Facebook, um, and that's how they did it with just giant decals on the side of <laughs> the side of the car. Yeah. So um, I think in terms of uh, older LA movies, the one that always hits me is The Big Sleep. I think the big um, the Big Sleep uh, feels like '40s um, '40s LA to me, especially. Uh, outdoors at night, even though it's a Warner Brothers set. Yeah. Um, that the the tiny little roads and the small cottages and things where um, Marlowe finds uh, Carmen. Uh, I've been. Uh, I, have, I have friends in like Studio City and in the Hollywood Hills, and it it still has that feel when you're out at night, uh, wandering around in the dark. That's that's what LA feels like on foot. And um, the sudden rainstorms that come up out of nowhere and then disappear and everything's dry, that uh, that really that's never changed in the past seventy years. And uh, yeah, and it will rain while you're asleep and you wake up and like, why is the ground wet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it's just fast. It's it's fascinating how this seems to be. I, I, with the exception of New York, and I'm not even sure if I should accept New York. I think it's the most examined city in american culture is hollywood looking at itself yeah 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a, a beautiful film. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you did, you know, uh, find th- find this film and learn to enjoy it. It's, yeah. Uh, as, uh, I I always wonder when when people visit the film. And thanks thanks to this show of so, so many people volunteering to be on it. It's great hearing people trying to sort it all out and and learning that it's not it's not as simple and straightforward a film, you know, on a on a first view. And it, again, it's something that you don't really see on TV a lot. Um, but when you know when it pops up, it's something you can sit when you see it on. You can sit and watch it through the end and say oh, that was not a waste of my time. Right, right. Uh, but a, a, a great a great film nonetheless. But but I, uh, but I understand why. I think I understand why I didn't like it at first. Why a lot of people might not is part of that that tone with like the L.A. streets at night is the movie has a lot of very slow moments where nothing's happening, yeah, or it feels like nothing's happening because yeah, it also it, has things happening all the time, and it's true. A, it's a strange mix. Yeah, and it's very different. I mean, I think the biggest question marks that that pop out of this thing are trying to figure out that it's classed as a comedy. And there are comedic things, but you're you're presented with things to laugh at that you're thinking, why am I laughing at this part? I, right. You know, I, and to me, that has the same kind of flavor that um, American Werewolf in London had. That you're like, well, wait, this is kind of funny, but isn't it kind of disgusting or or horrifying? Or right. And and this, that has that in here. Um, so so many incidents where you're thinking, this is supposed to be, I guess, the funny part. But yeah, they shoot a dog, and it's yeah. a laugh moment. Yeah. And they shoot a bird. Yeah, and chasing a, you know, chasing Catherine Harold up and down Malibu while she's running for her life, right. and they're all like taking their shoes off and folding them up neatly. And you're thinking, this is just this is a slapstick moment. Right, and then the um, scene ends with point of view being drowned. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a real puzzler. But uh, I, I do like I do like uncomfortable movies, and the idea that this was a mainstream movie that was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. is um, kind of an interesting experiment by, by Landis. I would love to ask him more about what was he thinking. Um, and I've seen the, you know, th- there's on the special features, they have uh, discussions with Landis and discussions with uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum about the movie, but they never really touch on why. Why is the movie the way it is? Is it discussions so, like now or close to now looking a, back? It, it's discussions from now looking back. Because uh, I would love to see like an inter- interviews. I couldn't find any really from like 1985. What did they, how did they talk about this movie when it came out? Yeah, the only thing I saw from 1985 was where he was having discussions with B.B. King about what the music was going to be yeah. like and how, how this and that. Rather superficial, but I just, I don't, I'd, I'd love to get into the, the mind of John Landis and find out where, what was he shooting for? What was he hoping that his audience would come away other than you know, I'll I'll see this again, or I'll recommend it to a friend, and they'll go see the see the movie in a theater. Because it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it's aimed for a, a commercial audience, like of say the Blues Brothers, right? It, it, for Landis's uh, audience. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then he came off. I mean, he just done a segment of Twilight Zone, which also doesn't fit with either this or Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just a real puzzle, and it's not Animal House, and it's not you know it, yeah. it's not. It doesn't fit in his general filmography. I mean, it is of a type. You see it. I mean, it's very close to the pacing of uh, more of the pacing of his, you know, his next feature or his just in immediate feature, which was a thriller. The thriller video with yeah. Michael Jackson. And uh, to to me, thriller seems like it could be a part of this movie somewhere. You know, just wandering out at night and uh, 
uh, Michael Jackson could easily be another cameo that you know David Bowie fit in. Um, I just I was I was hoping to get more answers in plowing through this movie, but it leaves you with more questions. But that's the nature of noir anyway. So I guess you know we have to we have to go with that you know leaving it in the mystery box and uh, unless unless John Landis happens to find this podcast someday and contact, yeah, <laughs> contact yeah. me and wants to get on and chat i'd be happy to do it <laughs> a special minute. reunion episode yeah exactly wow well robert thank you so much for being part of this yeah it's, uh it's been great with everybody uh, uh being a part of this and giving their own takes on it and i really appreciate your uh, your in-depth coverage and your your deep dive analyses of this it's uh, it's a reason i mean you can watch you can sit and watch a movie and eat popcorn or you can you know also wonder about the bigger messages coming out of it and you really I uh, did do some uh, some delving into uh, the roots of this, uh, of this film. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> too deep, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's been it's been great. I really really appreciate it very much. I'm sure the audience has too. It's uh, it, it's it's been a, a really great feedback on this whole thing. So hopefully we can do it again sometime on a on a different film. I have some ideas on on some other films. Nice. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll come up with something next year for for sure. And if you could be a part of it, I'd appreciate that very much. Oh yeah. Well, great. Well, uh, for folks listening in, uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with another regular episode. And uh, if you would like to reach out to us on social media, we're always available on the uh, on the Twitter at uh, Night Minute. We're also available on the big site, uh, nightminute.com, uh, and the Facebook page, which is uh, The King Lives Listener's Limo, out there on Facebook. Love to hear from you. Uh, if you're not, if you're downloading us directly from, uh, from our website, that's great, but you can also get it on any of the normal podcasting uh, channels on either, uh, well, it's not iTunes anymore. It's uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, or Spotify. It's out there available. You can sign up, uh, subscribe, and uh, get it delivered hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday. Please do that because we're coming down to the final minutes. We probably don't want to miss the great finale. <laughs> um, so anyway, we will see you here uh, tomorrow on the Into the Night Minute. Do we thank you or what? I'd say I fall in the or what category.